10. Welcome to Laser Focused. Six, five, Together, we make the impossible possible. Two, one, zero. Now here's your host, Renette Youssef. Welcome back to another episode of Laser Focused. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, CMO and brand disruptor at Velo3D. This week, I'm speaking with Kenneth Harris II, Senior Project Engineer at the Aerospace Corporation, acknowledged by Forbes magazine amongst the world's youngest and most impactful individuals in the field of science. He is here today to discuss science, space travel, the power of mentorship, and how to make the impossible possible. Welcome, Kenneth. So good to have you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm going to ask you a question that you've probably had millions of people ask you. How did you end up at NASA at the age of 16? Oh man, that that's a long story, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a long story. But let me, let me, the condensed version. <laughs> the condensed version is that the summer before I was so hard headed, like in terms of like listening to my parents and stuff. So the summer before I actually worked as a janitor cleaning like bathrooms and lockers and stuff like that at a local high school. Long story short, I'll get to that later. But that spring, I ended up working as a camp counselor, just a volunteer position, camp counselor. And at that camp, I met one of the organizers for this internship program that NASA was more or less starting to spin up. And so with that, you know, they picked a group of individuals. I was the last person they picked. <laughs> and I ended up getting paired with the last mentor they had. But that experience I had with that mentor turned into a really great friendship that has lasted till today and even turned into more than an internship. And I ended up going to NASA like after high school. I mean, not after high school, but after my normal high school day, I would then go to NASA to help them like with their missions and just to be involved in what they're doing. So it extended beyond the summer. It was really like a full year thing that I turned out to really love. So you mentioned your parents and you being hard-headed. I've also read somewhere that your dad was really instrumental in you taking up STEM. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how it sort of influenced your career? Me and my dad have a great relationship. He was never one of those overbearing parents that said, hey, you have to be an engineer. You have to follow exactly what I'm doing. And actually, again, when I was young and hard-headed, I was really, really bad at math. <laughs> and so when I made kind of that shift in my thinking and, and ended up getting this internship at NASA that I almost stumbled into. He was very encouraging in the fact that, you know, this field is really, really tough in terms of like challenges you face, in terms of challenges you have to solve, interactions you have, stuff like that. He was just really encouraging just across the board. So when it comes to mentor and mentorship, I always count him as one of my first mentors. And that's why we have such a great relationship. So you, you've mentioned mentorship twice or three times now, and I think you did a TED talk on mentorship. Is that right? I have. I have. Okay. All right. So tell me about why you're so passionate about mentorship. And you also mentioned your son and how do you see him growing up and him sort of seeing you as a mentor, somebody else as a mentor and how important is it for growth? So I think the concept of mentorship for me, it comes from the experiences that I have, that I have had and that I continue to have. I also think about it as being in the field of STEM and space in particular, you think just how small you are in the makeup of everything. You know, you think universe to galaxies, galaxies to solar system, solar system to planet, planet to states, states to cities, and then me in my house. <laughs> I'm, I'm so small in the grand makeup of all of this that I feel as though this this lives even beyond me. 
So how can I pour into the next generation to help them get where they need to go? Why, if I went through something, do I want to see someone struggle the same way I struggle? I really feel like this field should be as inclusive as possible. Anyone can be in this field, but I think it takes those folks that have gone through some things and that are willing to encourage the next generation to help us go as far as possible. Perfect. So 16, NASA, and then Forbes magazine counted you amongst the 30 under 30, right? For your science and contribution. How does that happen? And like, what was it? What what did you do (laughs) to get on the list? Was there a project or was it just your, you know, overall contribution to NASA and space and exploration? And it's twofold. One, I contributed to a project that was on called the James Webb Space Telescope. And that recently launched this past Christmas, actually. We launched it on Christmas. Amazing. I know. Merry Christmas to us, right? Um, (laughs) This this project was delayed a number of years. It's all over the media, so I won't go into detail about it. But on that program, there was several subsystems. I ended up assisting the integration of one of the major subsystems. My leadership on that or at least my leadership under one of my mentors on that allowed me to just have a really, really good exposure to the program and a really good exposure to folks outside NASA who were looking specifically at this program because it follows Hubble. The major scientific mission of it is to observe the Big Bang, quote unquote, the Big Bang, first light in the galaxy. So it's getting a lot of media attention. And that's really how I got pulled into things. And then on top of that, like I said, starting at 16, going until now, I'll be 30 in April. That full 14 year process, I'm working on those missions. I've got seven or eight missions under my belt. I think that's really what allowed me to have the exposure I have. Okay. It doesn't stop there. So at 24, right, you became the youngest African-American to perform and lead integration efforts at James Webb that you just mentioned. And you did it with NASA, the European Space Agency and the Canadian Space Agency. So what was what was that like? And, and did that give you lessons also around dealing with different agencies that you take to real life? So, yes and no. That was one of my first missions working with CSA. But my mission before that was a program called GPM. And we work with JAXA, which is Japan's Exploration Space Agency. And so I've ha- I had the opportunity to work with international agencies before. And that is one of my favorite parts of being in this field, because, again, we're so small in the grand scheme of things and space is not just an American thing. So you get to interact with people from all around the world. You see like different cultures, just how they go about thinking through projects, the headache of organizing according to different time zones. So it's, it's you, you kind of get the, the feel of all that. But it was my first time working with CSA and just being exposed and, and having the opportunity to work with them again was a great experience. Was there any sort of hiccups or I just imagine, right, different agencies, different sort of maybe cultural differences and like bureaucratic differences? Like, did you have to learn how to navigate any of this? Most of the times that kind of handling was above my pay grade, I like to say. So the thing about James Webb and ESA and NASA was that NASA did the integration, the building of the actual component, whereas ESA did the rocket, the launch vehicle for the mission. So There wasn't a ton of overlap in terms of my work with manufacturing and and integration and mechanical engineering, but we did have to coordinate with them for stuff such as size. So how does this satellite fit into the vehicle was an example of how we had to converse with them and stuff like that. But all the bureaucratic stuff, I don't concern myself with that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What about the manufacturing? You just mentioned that. How involved are you in manufacturing? In previous roles, I've been more involved than I am now in my current role since I moved like further into management. The manufacturing role specifically at NASA has always been interesting 
to me in terms of when you think of product supply chain, when you think of security, when you think of just the process of how you get to integration through testing and stuff like that. So I will say I was previously more involved than I am currently. Okay. So you know that we're huge fans of additive manufacturing or 3D metal printing at Velo. So how have you seen manufacturing change in aerospace in your like 16 years at NASA or working at these agencies? (laughs) Oh man. So additive manufacturing, as we know, is the fancy way of saying 3D printing. (laughs) So so, uh, an example I always like to use specifically in terms of space is, is how NASA and other agencies have been trying out the concept of 3D printing on things like the ISS, for example. And for those that don't know, the International Space Station or the ISS is really being used as a testing ground for us to be able to use this technology on longer crewed missions. So we're talking about putting 3D printers on missions to the lunar surface, to Mars, to even further. And the benefit of doing something like that the kind of mantra behind NASA, I'd say, you know, bring everything you need because there's nowhere to stop on the way. And then they have the second one of better safe than sorry. So that basically means they're going to pack what they need and then they're going to overpack what they need <laughs> just to make sure everything's good to go. What I've seen thus far is the trials of ISS and additive manufacturing, the items they printed on there and how that is a proof of concept for us to even go further. And now for ground-based applications. I say NASA's 3D printing almost mimics other industries. So you can think of like construction, for example, there's 3D printing construction or even in medicine. So I'd say the real difference between NASA and the other ones is that they're testing microgravity, I'd say. Because customer base comes from space at Velo 3D. Mm-hmm. So a lot of space startups are using Velo to, yeah. yeah, it's crazy actually. Every time we see a rocket flying, we go, Velo 3D. Yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. Did you ever consider like private work, like private sector, like startups? Or was it always NASA was the... Mm, so so yes, I've considered it. I'm actually with a private contractor right now in my, in my most current role um, with the Aerospace Corporation. So I, I'm not at all just solely tied to... NASA, but I have explored other other areas. And, you know, just across the industry, there's a lot of different individuals that are getting into that 3D printed space. And that is because, again, as we move forward to get more crewed missions even further out, the main things we consider are weight, durability. What's the path of least resistance, (laughs) basically, is what we try to get to as we continue to develop these technologies even further. So moving away from additive, you also once talked about like early on in your career, a fear of failing. Oh yeah. Which really resonated with me, you know, like especially early on a career, especially when things moving fast and you having to prove yourself that you are afraid of failing. But I think you, you've made a big thing about, you know, who you are and part of your career. So, you know, how did you overcome that fear and what do you tell people in any stage of their career about failing? I'll say it's a constant learning process. I always like to lead with No one likes failure. No one goes into a situation thinking I'm going to 100 percent fail this. You go in with the idea of it's going to be successful. Now, the definition of success might change. So to me, if I'm designing this, let's just say we're designing this camera that's going to go on a satellite, for example, I might go in the mindset of this is going to be successful. But I also know that failure might be within my definition of success. So use that failure that you have to Use it as a learning opportunity, push forward with it, use it as as motivation to keep going. It can be additional test points, anything like that. I think sometimes individuals specifically in STEM, I can only speak from my field in STEM, get so caught up in the fact that I failed 
you know, I failed one time, 10 times, 100 times that they they beat themselves up about it. And that full circle goes back to that mentorship thing I was talking about earlier (laughs) in terms of if you can grasp early on that failure is okay to a certain degree, failure is okay, (laughs) then you can really, really push yourself even further and further. So it's it's a concept that I, I like to talk to my younger mentees about as soon as I grab hold of them, I like to have that failure conversation with them just to kind of see where they are with it. How do you get your young mentees and people early on in their career to know that it's okay to fail and it's never going to be that detrimental? I think you you have to lead by example. I think that's one of the best ways that younger folks learn. I mean, I, I like to think about seeing myself in them. And that's that's the way that I learned was from an example. It was from a real life experience. Uh, one of the examples I always share is, is one of my first internships with NASA. My mentor challenged me to design this, the housing structure for one of our satellites. And I designed the entire thing out of titanium. So basically it was like, hey, we're going to fly this titanium brick into space. Very heavy. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely heavy. Right. And so he let me go through the entire process. Then we got to the end and he gave me, you know, checks to say this doesn't work. It doesn't work because it's too heavy. It doesn't work because of these sharper edges. It'll fail test because of this. And that was my first experience in not my first, but that was one of my experiences in quote unquote failure. That experience, again, motivates me in, in a number of ways. One is to impact the students or the younger areas sooner. The second thing is I've stolen that example (laughs) and try to use it for them. And I allowed them to make the mistakes for themselves. And I I really allowed them to sit there and think, and I'm almost entirely hands off. So when they, even when they do ask me a question, I say, Hey, look at this resource. And I really do not give them any answers to the point where it's it's pretty frustrating, (laughs) but it's really just part of that learning experience that I'd say. And I, I haven't really got a lot of bad feedback from that method, <laughs> that methodology since. So I, I got to stick with it. <laughs> I actually had to present a failures resume once for a job interview. And at first it really struck me as like, this is the weirdest request I've ever had. But then I think about it and it's like, you want to see that somebody can acknowledge that they failed and what they've learned from it and humble enough to talk about their failures and learning. So I think it was a really good exercise, actually. Probably why when, when you were talking about failing and it, overcoming it, why it struck with me. But some last couple of questions. What advice would you give aspiring individuals wanting to get into aerospace engineering? It's a good question. One thing that I wish I started doing earlier was networking. I wish that I started networking a lot sooner in my career than I did. I don't think I really got into, I'll call it the groove of networking until probably my early 20s, like 24 Something like that. When I first started to branch out and say and to have those conversations with folks across the industry, not for the sake of can they give me a job later, but for the sake of I'm interested in knowing what you're doing. How do our technologies overlap? Will we eventually cross paths in the future and really developing those relationships with different individuals? So the first thing I, I would suggest is is networking. The second thing I would suggest is just keeping at it. Sometimes comes across cliche, but I cannot express how difficult this field can be to the point where, you know, I, I've experienced times where I wanted to quit entirely. There's a side story where I almost decided to drop out of college temporarily, I suppose, <laughs> and not be an engineer. I don't know if I'd ever come back, but there was a time where I, I was not going to be an engineer anymore. I was going to entirely switch my major. 
So I would say stick at it. Going back to that first thing of networking, that can be networking in the area of the industry, but it can also be networking in the area of just classmates who can potentially one day be your colleagues. So, for example, I have a great friend that we went through high school and college together. We did a lot of our studying together and now we both work on these NASA programs together. And, you know, he's one of my best friends to this day. So I would say, you know, continue to build those relationships even outside of the industry, because that's mm-hmm. really what's going to get you forward. No one builds a satellite by themselves. No one launches anything into space by themselves. I've already harped on networking so much, but networking, don't give up on your studies. And even when these classes get difficult. What would you say to people who say you don't need university or college anymore? I, you see a lot of these space companies hiring really smart kids yeah. You've dropped out of university or college or school. And, and what, what would you say about that? Because you just said, you know, don't give up on your studies. And you don't hear that a lot anymore. <laughs> to be as transparent with you as possible. <laughs> I think the world is changing. And, and so many times we live in a, um, a microwave society in terms of I want this right now. Some individuals might skip over the meat of what you're learning. And that's where you experience those failures. That's where you experience maybe the greatest amount of your networking. That's when you experience real life applications to things you learn in and out of the classroom. I would encourage individuals to, if they don't feel they need university, I would encourage them to seek certifications. I would encourage them to seek side classes. Just continue to, in your own way, seek education, seek to be better. What I can't say enough is that don't yearn to be so self-sufficient and independent in this field that you box yourself in. I really think you need to branch out in order to get the full experience, I'd say. But I, I understand everyone is different. So I don't want to put anyone in a box when I say things like that. But I do encourage those to seek education. My parents would love that. They're, they were very much university, engineering, medicine, science. <laughs> and then I did and then I did marketing. But anyway, so who, yeah. who's your hero? Oh, man. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Um, hero. Let's see. Hero. So I really look up to my dad. He is one of my heroes. And I'm thinking like individuals in the industry and someone that I'm oh, someone that I'm actually really close to and in the industry is Major General Charlie Bolden, who is a former NASA administrator. He's also an astronaut. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> We're close friends, I'd say. And I always enjoy talking to him and, and, you know, he's got a lot of mentees just in the industry, but I really enjoy the opportunity to be able to talk to him and, and talk through ideas he's had, struggles he's had, challenges, even when it comes to like family life. When I was about to be a new dad, I talked to Charlie about it. I think Charlie is definitely one of my heroes and one of the first people that come to mind off the top of my head. So final question, what's next for space and innovation in space? For space and innovation, what's next? All these missions are pointing us toward the inevitable, I'll say, in terms of traveling to other planets. So getting boots on other planets. So I'd like to say that all of these missions are getting us toward more efficient paths in order to get to space and further out into space. That can be looking at 3D printing and how we prepare to take materials to other planets. That could be even the fuel that we use on these rockets to get to orbit or even to return home once we are on a planet, when you're thinking like methane or things like that. The common denominator, the bottom line is exploration. That's what we're pushing forward to. That's what I think all these missions are getting to, whether it is the Artemis program, again, to put boots on the moon, or if it is the James Webb Space Telescope, which is going to help us understand the universe more to help us know where we can go in the universe. So exploration and exploring the mysteries of space. I did lie. 
I have one last question. Go for it. Will you go to space? Oh, if I'm given the opportunity, yes. <laughs> if I'm given the opportunity, yeah. I have applied one time to be an astronaut. I was obviously rejected from the program that one time, but I, I do have a desire to go to space in some capacity. It's not my top goal by any means, but I would not turn down the opportunity if given the chance. <laughs> That's awesome. Kenneth, that was so, so much fun talking with you today. I learned a lot. I think um, you are a very inspiring person for a lot of aspiring people who want to work in space and exploration. And I really enjoyed having you on the show today. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. So much fun on this podcast. And I hope to be back again one day. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely have you back. Uh, maybe when you get to space, you can tell us what that's like. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. I, I would love that. <laughs> Perfect. I want to give a big thank you to Kenneth for joining us on the show today and giving us some insight into how to make the impossible possible and showing us exactly why he's taking the world of engineering, education and space exploration to new heights. Thanks for listening. Please remember to leave a review or subscribe if you haven't yet so you never miss an episode. I'm your host, Renette Youssef, and this has been Laser Focused, where together we innovate without compromise. Music